0: It's always interesting to hear them going out, you know, and all the little conversations that are going on, I didn't do, you know. Good evening, everybody. Y'all enjoying the rain? That always amazes me. We go through drought and God sends rain for two or three days and by the second day, people are complaining about the rain. It's a pretty good statement about where, where we tend to be at times. Um, welcome to part three of our survey of the 12 minor prophets. We're we'll going be looking in the book of Amos tonight. Um, and in case you haven't noticed yet, the writings of the minor prophets all have really a pretty common theme. And in fact, I told Kendra this last week that. Um, Go, you know, studying through the Minor Prophets reminds me a lot of her Hallmark movies. You know, you know I'll, I'll come in and she's watching a movie and I'll say, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You know, there's tragedy at the beginning and then the man and woman, the main characters fall in love, get married and live happily ever after. In every Hallmark movie, that's, that's the, it, it works that way. And she loves it, she knows it, and then she just enjoys that. And I'll probably have to surrender my man card, but I like some of them too. It's kind of fun, you know. <laughs> They are encouraging. However, in the 12 minor prophets, there is always a stern warning by a man that God is raised up, usually out of an unusual circumstance and not where, I guess the majority of religious leaders would think the prophet should come from. He gives a dire warning. They're non-repentant and the consequences fall in. And then God redeems a few there's always God's redemption at the end but we're going to see that again and you know if, 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 you, if you think about the 12 minor prophets and it's all got the same message it's all got the same pattern you might say then why not just do one lesson for the 12 and don't repeat it over a period of weeks well, the answer to that is, each one of these books is God's revealed, breathed Word. And they all have an important message for us. And so as we're doing overviews, we're not skipping any of them. Even if it seems the same, because there are differences in each one of the books. There's, even, though, even though the theme is the same, there's, there's differences there, and we're to glean truth from that. So we're going to look at Amos over the next two weeks... And we're going to do this by, by looking at four, basically four divisions of the book. There are eight prophecies, three sermons, five visions, and five promises. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the eight prophecies and three sermons. So if I, if I follow the pattern that's established by those that normally stand behind this podium, speaker stand... We'd be here for four and a half hours, <laughs> just to do three sermons. We're not going to do that tonight. Um, so we're going to look at the first two parts tonight, the eight prophecies and the three sermons. Um, then next week, we're going to look at the five visions and the five promises. Now, as, as we typically do, we need to set the context of, of when this is, what's going on, who's speaking, who's being spoken to, so that we understand We have a greater understanding of the entire message, but context is important. We need to always think about that. So the time period—if I had Ben's really fancy timeline, you know—I don't have that. I don't even think about getting that. But you know, we could kind of picture it there. But but I'll do that. I'll do that verbally. The the time of you know where the people were during this message—it was a time of national optimism for Israel. For the Northern Kingdom. There was prosperity. There was military dominance. Basically, they were really kicked back in, in, in some really nice things. In fact, as Ben is I stopped and talked to him for a minute. He said, Go look at the picture I did on the on the whiteboard. So he he I went in there, looked, and he drew a hot tub, you know, with four people kicked back in the hot tub going, (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of a picture of where Israel saw themselves they were at peace there wasn't, any, there wasn't any wars going on challenging their borders there was prosperity going on people seemed to have enough of what they needed for the most part and yet rather than turning and worshipping Yahweh for the peace and for their prosperity They turned inward, and they were exhibiting greed, injustice. They had a hypocritical religious practice that replaced true worship, and they had a growing sense, a growing false sense of security in terms of where they were, and a very real callousness in their lives. Now, as I describe where they are, does that sound even vaguely familiar? Okay, this is one of those things where you go, yike. <laughs> okay. It does, it sounds all too familiar to so many instances in, in our world today. Now, Amos is, God, is, Amos is called by God to speak a bold and a harsh, me- harsh message to these people regarding their sin, the need for repentance, and lays out the consequences when they don't repent. I mean, God already knew what was going to happen, right? As a sovereign God. He knew that they would not listen, but He gave them the message if you listen and if you turn back, I'll relent. But He knew what the consequences were going to be. Now the man himself, Amos, the, the, the name Amos actually only appears in this book. Doesn't appear anywhere else in the scripture. You know, and I read that from a commentary and I thought, really? So I did a survey, you know, a, a computer search, and yeah, it only appeared, that name only appears in the book of Amos. And he says of himself in chapter 7, verse 14, I am not a prophet. Nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. Uh, He was a herdsman, so he was he was a you know maybe got his degree from you know Bethel University in animal husbandry, uh, you know, but he was he was a herdsman. He took care of flocks. He was also a dresser of sycamore figs, and. And I thought, well, you know, what, is it, what does that mean exactly? And I you know, studied that, you know, looked that up a little bit. For the sycamore fig to mature and ripen, the dresser of the orchard, at a certain point in time, as the sycamore fig got to a certain point of maturity, he had to go out and poke a hole in the fig that would release an insect larva that had been inside it growing And when that insect larva then came out because of that hole that he poked in it, then the fig would mature and ripen and then it was good to eat. So he had to do that with every fig, on every bush or every tree. So that's why he he, he liked, I guess he liked doing meticulous things because that's what he had to do. So that's who the man is. And yet he was called by God and raised up to speak A very timely and important message to a stiff-necked people. In Amos 3, 7 and 8, 3, verses 7 through 8, Amos says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? I mean, he was establishing the fact that God had called him. And he was doing what God had called him to do. In chapter 7, verse 15, Amos says, But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, Amos also lived in the southern kingdom in Judah. Okay. He lived in Judah in the southern kingdom, so he had to leave there and go to the northern kingdom, Israel, and, and deliver this prophecy. And basically, God said, I want you to go... And Amos said, "Yes, sir." That's exactly what he did. He went. So God raised up a herdsman and a dresser of, of sycamore figs. So he didn't come from a place that would seemingly be where prophets come, or you know, prophets come from. Where where else in the scripture do we see God bringing, raising up people from unusual circumstances to impact his kingdom? Where else do we see that? What does that remind you of? The disciples, the disciples. yeah. Yeah, they didn't come from the tribe of Levi. They didn't, <laughs> they weren't the religious leader sect. They were, they were fishers, fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were... Just ordinary man. Where else do we see that? King David, yeah, he was also a shepherd. He was a herdsman. Um, what about Jesus? You know, he was the promised Messiah, the King, and yet he didn't seem to come from a kingly lineage. In fact, he was born in a stable. He wasn't born in a palace. And Ben has said often, I don't remember the exact quote, but basically what what said is, God takes the ordinary to confound the world. Or sometimes the less than ordinary. Okay. Um, now, the time of the prophecy we see in Amos, and go ahead and turn to Amos 1. We're going to look at the first two verses to, to establish the time. Amos 1 verses 1 and 2 says, The words of Amos... "...who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, when he saw, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top, top of Carmel withers." The time is well established in the very first verse. Uzziah was the king of Judah from 767 to 739 B.C. Jeroboam II was king of Israel from 782 to 753 B.C. Now Amos directs his statement to Jeroboam the king specifically. So the king's not dead yet. So we know about the time that this took place. Um, most scholars believe it was around 755 B.C., when Amos spoke, you know, give or take, because it was two years before the earthquake, and I knew when the big earthquake took place. Um, Amos predicts the de- death of Jeroboam and the exile to Assyria that's going to occur in 722 B.C. That's 33 years after he spoke. Okay, so he predicts that fall. He predicts Jeroboam's death, and he predicts the, predicts the exile to Assyria. In um, Amos 711, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. We're going to talk more about that next week, but I want you to see that this, this was the timeline and what was going on. Now during this time, the surrounding countries, you know I said earlier that they, they really had military dominance on everybody around them. The, the countries around them, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and Aram, those are the surrounding big countries, were relatively weak, and they really didn't pose much of a threat to either Israel or Judah. And that's why people of Israel were just kicked back in the hot tub and enjoying life. And they weren't really too concerned. So, for tonight, we're going to look at, again, the eight judgments, and then we're going to look at the three sermons. And each of the, each of the eight judgments begins with a statement for three transgressions of... And then you insert the name of the country. And for four, I will not revoke its punishment because... And then you fill in the sin. So we're going to see that, we're going to see that statement patterned eight times with each of the eight judgments. And Amos is given a task that no one would want to have. To deliver a harsh, a harsh message to Israel after having left his homeland of Judah. Let's look at the first judgment. It's in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1. This is the judgment of Damascus. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Haziel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avin. And him who holds the, separate, the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Ker. says the Lord. The second judgment is on Gaza, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Now, you you may get a sense, you know, as this is going, as, as Amos is speaking... You know, the the people of Israel are going, yeah, you know, get them, God. Those two countries, we want them gone. So, whoop, go get them. Third judgment. Judgment on Tyre, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. <clears throat> Judgment number four is on Edom. Verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore, tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Taman, and he shall devour the strong, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. The fifth judgment is on Ammon in verses 13 through 15. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, and with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile. He and his princes together, says the Lord. So again, there's a growing building, maybe anticipation of the children of Israel. Get them, God. Yeah, I mean, they may go, whoop, whoop. I mean, they may have been cheering by this point because of what Amos is saying about their surrounding neighbors. Because they knew about all these situations. They knew that each one of these countries had done these horrendous events. They knew about it, and they were... They, were, they must have been cheering God on. Yay. The sixth judgment is on Moab. Thus says the Lord. This is in chapter 2, verses 1, one through 3. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned, the li- burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kiriath, And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and I will kill all of its princes with him, says the Lord. Judgment number seven. So we're we're, we're looking at the, the country surrounding Israel. Judgment number seven is Judah, the southern kingdom. Verses four and five of chapter two. Thus says the Lord... For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept her statutes, but their lives have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. The people of Israel may have just taken a breath there. Oh, southern kingdom, yeah, southern kingdom or the northern kingdom, so God's going God's to gonna punish them. But I think some of the things that Amos said to about Judah may have struck a nerve with some of the people of Israel. Because what did it say about Judah? They have not kept his statutes. That probably struck a bit of a nerve. Maybe. They have, their lies have led them astray. Those after their fathers walked; those after which their fathers walked. They may have taken a, a, a bit of a breath there, thinking, mm, well, "That sounds familiar," but I'm glad it's Judah and not us. And Amos delivers the eighth judgment. I, you know, I, I, I have a feeling if I would be in that situation, and if I was sitting in the hot tub, kicked back, and listening to Amos. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope he's done. But holding my breath. And then he says, thus says the Lord. And I think probably my heart would have dropped. Boom. Hit the floor. Oops. Because he's named all the countries around him. He's named the Southern Kingdom. So what else is he going to say? Oh, he's got something else to say. So maybe there was an anticipation there. In verse 6 through 16 of chapter 2, the judgment on Israel, on the northern kingdom. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth And turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Gulp. Okay. God reminds them, you know, there you are sitting in the hot tub, kicked back, enjoying the fruits of what you think you've accomplished. There, there, there's almost a sense of, they're thumping their chest saying, look what we did. We did good. Let, let, let's kick back and enjoy. And God reminds them, I'm the one that led you out of Egypt. I led you through the wilderness. I conquered And brought you into the promised land. God was saying and reminding them. He was the active agent. In all that had happened. They needed that reminder. And he said. I'm the one that raised up the prophets. And I'm the one that established some of your young men from Nazarites. And then he says. But you have made the Nazarites drink wine. And you commanded the prophets saying. You shall not prophesy. He said, Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. For he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. And the message was given. Now, again, Amos is given a task that no one would have wanted to have. To deliver a a harsh message to Israel after after having left his homeland of Judah. So he's from Judah, he goes into Israel, and he declares this message. He's not real popular. He may have gotten some, won't you go back home? Why are you speaking to us? All kinds of things like that. And we'll see some of the the responses later, uh, actually next week. Amos begins by delivering a message of each of the countries surrounding Israel. He moves in closer and closer and he comes in from the south to Judah and then he talks about them. Keep in mind that Israel was the primary audience of this prophecy from God because the prophecy of Israel, the judgment on Israel was much more detailed. And so they were the main recipient of this. God reminds them that he's the active agent in everything in their life. And I wonder how many people were really convicted by these harsh words from God. Or how many of them just rolled their eyes. Can you, can you imagine the eye roll in the audience? Another one of these fruitcakes. Come in speaking to us. Who are you? again, we're going to see some of the reactions later. Um, but you know, the, the message that, that Amos delivered wasn't a popular message, it wasn't a message. Delivered by a man that would be invited back. And he probably didn't fill very many stadiums of the day. He delivered a hard message. Now we're going to look at the three sermons next. Um, And the three sermons go from chapter 3 verse 1 through um, chapter 6 verse 14. We're not going to read all of it. We're not going to read it. We're going to read some select passages in that. But I would ask you, and I'd really recommend you to go back and read the entire text of these sermons. I really don't have time to do that tonight. We're going to go way over, and I didn't want to do that. Um, so we're going to look at some select passages in that. But go back and read chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 and see all that, that's said there. But in the three sermons, it talks about there, there's three basic. Divisions in the, in the three sermons. So there's three, the three points in each, each of the three sermons. First of all, he talks about Israel's present. Their present tense, where they are. The second sermon is about Israel's past, where they came from. And the third sermon is about Israel's future, where they're headed. So in Israel's present... <clears throat> excuse me. That's in chapter 3 the entirety of chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And he says in, in, chapter, in verses 1 through 10, he talks about Israel's judgment is deserved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at the beginning of chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against whose, the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. He is saying, I called you. I brought you out. Because you've abandoned me, you deserve this judgment. So he establishes that. God chose the people and they rebelled. They turned away from him. We see in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 3 of Israel's judgment described. And basically, to summarize that, they're going to be carried off by another people, by another nation. And that might have seemed really strange to them because, again, they had military dominance over everybody around them. And maybe the next day, Amos left to go back home and the people might have been a little bit shaken by it. You know, it's like, ooh. But then they look around and go, what? Who's going to carry us off? Nobody can whoop us. You know, he's all wet. He really wasn't from God. And so maybe they got comfortable again. And we see that as one of their, one of their judgments that they're at ease with themselves and where they are. The second sermon is about Israel's past, and that's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. First of all, Israel's judgment is deserved, we see in in verses 1 through 5. They, They turned to false religious practices, and they were false in heart by what they did. Look in verses 4 and 5 of Amos chapter 4. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. See, they're doing things that God didn't tell them to do. So they've replaced what's maybe convenient or what they want to do. With what God called them to do. So they've substituted a false, hypocritical religion for true worship. So their judgment is deserved. In verses 6 through 11, we see that Israel's judgment is demonstrated. He basically says, I've sent drought. I've sent famine, and you didn't wake up. That wasn't a a sufficient wake-up call. And so there's, there's something else coming. That's what happened in the past, but there's something else coming. And then Israel's judgment is described from their past in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4. Where he basically says, prepare to meet your God. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Maybe that shook them a little bit. We don't know. The third sermon then is in chapter 5 verse 1 through chapter 6 verse 14. And this is describing Israel's future. The third sermon is about Israel's future. And we see, first of all, that God says their judgment is deserved. See, this and to use a phrase like that really flies in the face of what most people say in our society you know if someone goes through a hardship and something really bad happens what's, what's one of the things that they might say first not your fault. yeah well, it's not your fault Okay. but how many times do you hear that I don't deserve that I don't deserve to be treated that way how many times have I said I'm not going to answer the question but I'll answer it to myself How many times have I said, I don't deserve that? Mm. Look, see what God says. And because He called these people out, and because of their lack of repentance of sin, they deserved what's going to happen. In Amos 5, verse 12 and 13, God said, For I know. How many are your transgressions and how great are your sins? You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. So the judgment is deserved, and it's going to be deserved in the future. And that's what this sermon's about. This is what's going to happen. Then we see Israel's judgment described for the future. In Beginning in chapter 5, verse 15, we see, we see two woes. Okay, this is not woe like a horse woe. This is a woe of this is something really bad that's about to happen. The first woe of judgment is found in verses 16 through 27 of chapter 5. And look in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 5. And and let these words sink in. These These are not words that we normally attribute to God. This is what God says. I hate. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Wow. So let it sink in. that God says, I hate. I despise. Spies what you're doing and why did he hate Why? and then, again this is future tense as well as present tense why would God hate what these people were doing why would he hate their feasts and their sacrifices and their offerings and their music their praise why would he hate those yeah yeah their heart was wrong They were doing it for reasons other than truly worshiping God. It had become a show. It had become ordinary. And it had become about them rather than about God. So that's the first woe of judgment. Tough one. The second woe of judgment is found in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We're just going to look at verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of nations to whom the house of Israel comes. The second woe of judgment was offered to those who were at ease. What is what is being at ease look like in this context? We're not convicted of our sin. Our sin doesn't bother us anymore. We've just gotten at ease. You know, if you read through the book of Job, and and, and I grew up hearing that, you know, Job, you know, the afflictions that Job went through wasn't about his sin. And while that's partly true, it's mostly true, there there is a place in Job where Job names his sin. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Job said to his friends, I am at ease with those around me. He'd gotten comfortable with the sin around him. He was was a righteous man. He he was a man that honored God. And he, he had a right heart other than he'd gotten comfortable with the world around him. He had not challenged the world. Now, that wasn't the reason that went on, but Job named that sin in himself. You know, the first time I saw that, I went, ow, (laughs) ouch. You know, I didn't want to hear that. But the second woe of judgment is that very thing. This is the picture that Ben drew on the white marker board over there of of the jacuzzi, the hot tub, and people just kicked back. They were at ease. Everything was good. They were comfortable. While there's nothing wrong in and of itself with being comfortable, I mean, let's look at our society. We enjoy our air conditioner here in Texas, don't we? We do. We enjoy our heat on a night when it's a little cool outside. We enjoy the dry when God sends the rain. We don't go out and play in the rain, especially when it's cool, get wet and chilled, and then you get sick. Okay. We enjoy our homes. We enjoy walking out of our home, getting in our car, in the garage, backing out, you know, coming here. And we do have to walk. We don't have covered areas, but we do have to walk in the, in the weather a little bit here. Um, but we enjoy, our, we enjoy the things that God has blessed us with. blessed us with. Nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes more important than doing what God has called us to do and doing it as God called us to do, that's when we're in trouble. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They got at ease with where they were. Now, these are dire messages. And again, as I said before, probably the people of Israel weren't real happy with what Amos had to say. Because if if they were living at ease, kicked back in the hot tub, what kind of message did they want to hear? You're laughing. What were you thinking? Huh? Well, that's okay. (laughs) Sarcasm's okay. (laughs) You know, they they probably wanted someone to come in, fill the arena and say, God wants you to be happy. (laughs) So I just, yeah, I don't mind being sarcastic. You know, with that, Greasy grin. I can't even do that. So. Mm. Uh? Yeah. And that, that draws people. Is it any surprise that that kind of message fills stadiums? It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We see in scripture that in, in the end times people want their ears tickled. This kind of message doesn't tickle the ear. Now, I won't say what I just thought, but uh, that's not written down, so I'm not going to go there. <clears throat> but it, 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 it tightens our spirit. It, it, make, it makes us clench. It doesn't tickle our ear. It's like, whoa. It gets our attention. Amos' words were hard, but true. His words were frightening, but deserved. His words were nightmares to a people who had been called by God. And 33 years later, or about 30 years later, 33 years later, the prophecies came true. Now, what should we glean from this part of of our study in Amos? What truth of this impacts us in Greenville, Texas in 2014? Is there anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a couple of, of, of these. What should we glean from it then? How does it impact us today? Don't, don't grow with the yeah, don't go, don't grow comfortable with. What'd you say? With the sinful surroundings. The sinful surroundings. Yeah, we can't go. We can't grow comfortable with that. Um... Yeah, we can, we, can, we can put our checks in the blocks. You know, I, I, I thought my mom wasn't gonna smack me one time, um, and this was not that many years ago. She she could have still done it, not that she well. She spanked me. She never smacked me, but um, we were visiting my mom there in San Angelo, and this was you know eight or ten years or seven or eight years ago probably, and we were getting ready to go to worship that morning, and she said, Morris, would you fill out my envelope for me? Oh, yes, ma'am. So, you know, I had the little, you know, those of you that grew up in the Baptist church, you know what I'm talking about. Had the little envelope and had the little, had the little seven blocks at the bottom. You know, worship attended, daily Bible read. Um, um, uh, made a contact. I mean, I don't remember all the seven things. So I was asking mom, well, mom, what did it do And she said, well, I didn't do, I didn't do this one or this one. So she left those blocks blank. You know, and then the other one was giving, so put the, you know put the tithe check in, inside, seal up the envelope, put her name on it. And I sat there for a minute, I looked at it, and I just kind of chuckled. And she said, what, "What are you chuckling about?" I said, "Mom, <laughs> you know I know your motives are absolutely pure in this." I said, no, "I don't have any doubt with that. I said, "Any doubt of that, but you know what these envelopes taught me to do as a kid?" She said, "What?" And I said, "Lie." And I said I was gonna check each one of those things so I could get the gold star on the on the wall chart so that I could get a prize at the end of the month. She's like Morris Bean. You lie. I said yes, ma'am, I did. You know, but you know that's that's the and that's why I said she could have smacked me if she'd reached me. But you know, she she just she didn't use Johnny Morris Bean, so I know I wasn't in real trouble. So she just <laughs> Morris Bean, like whew. first and last name or middle and last name. You know, it was a little bit of trouble, but. You know, that's, that's a picture of where we can be like the people that Amos was speaking to. We can get at ease with where we are and just putting our, our check in the block. You know, and that, that's, what, that's what Corey was talking about. Are we like the people of Israel? I'd everybody do this. Okay. How are we alike that, how are we like the people of Israel? How are we alike? We're stiff-necked people. Right? How else are we alike? Us to worship him. Okay. We don't always worship God the way he wants us to worship him. How else are we like him? Huh? Sometimes it's songs and stuff like he was yeah. me, but I'm Yeah, it's songs, but you're really not the heart's not there and you're just kind of going through the motions. How else are we like the people of Israel? Yeah, we forget what God has done. Have you ever, <clears throat> have you ever prayed for something fervently and then God answered the prayer and, and you rejoiced? And the next day, you forgot? Well, I had a, had a friend years ago that, and I just asked him, I said, why do you keep a prayer journal? He said, because I go back through it periodically and I read back through it. And he said, I, I try to check off the ones that God has answered, but then when I go back through it, I, I rejoice over those. And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But you know, that, that's what we do. We see God's miraculous movement and we celebrate and then we forget. No, we, we just do that. But see, we're like Israel also in that we're a called people. Don't forget that. We are a called people, we are, a, we are adopted. Okay? And we sin. God calls us to repentance just as he called the people of Israel. We really have to ask ourselves the next question Do we get at ease? Uh, way too often. You know, this morning in men's prayer time, Ben you know, challenged the guys that were there. He said, You know, he said, You know, guys, as, as, as we've gone through, he said, As I've gone through things, he said, Every once in a while, um, I just really get convicted that m- my time is not spent as, wise, as wisely as it needs to to be. And he said, and I'm going to challenge you guys to look at your time and read, find a book and read. He said because he said I-, I can spend time on the internet and I think, wow, an hour's gone by and what did I get accomplished? Nothing. <laughs> okay, now. There, there's nothing wrong with doing other activities. But if that takes the majority of our time, if activities take the majority of our time and we give God just a little bit, um, that may be an indication that we're at ease. We don't need to get there. Okay. Now again, we can be content. Okay, our contentment, comes from the fact that we know that God is working in our life and whatever is going on, we can, we can accomplish you know, whatever circumstance we're in because that Jesus, we, we do all things through Christ who is our strength. So we can be content. That's different than being at ease. It really is. Now, do we deserve consequences as an unrepentant people today? Are we like Israel? Do we deserve those consequences? Do we deserve the judgment as an unrepentant people? Get her, God. (laughs) The unrepentance makes the word deserve fit. Keep in mind, as an unrepentant people, do we deserve those consequences? Yes, absolutely. But what we're going to see next week is that God redeems a remnant of the people. See, the whole nation of Israel was carried into, the vast majority of the nation, was carried into captivity. And God's judgment was against the nation of Israel. Did that mean that every individual suffered the nation's consequences? Were they removed from God? Every individual? Okay, y'all are thinking this is a trick question. (laughs) They suffered the consequences, but just as today... A relationship with God at that time was an individual relationship. So there were still people in that that enjoyed a growing, vital relationship with God. They did. But as a nation, they turned away. And because the nation had those consequences, those people who were walking rightly with God still suffered. Maybe not to the extent of everyone else, and God raised up a remnant, for those that that were still walking with God, now it may have been 300 years later that He raised that remnant up, and ultimately that remnant was raised up when Jesus appeared. That's the real promise, and I just stole my thunder from next week. But okay, now you're going to see, as Paul Harvey used to say, now you're going to see the rest of the story. Okay, and I want to challenge y'all: don't wait till next week. Read the rest of the book. You know. Come in prepared next week to rejoice and see. We, we, we see what happens. We see the Christ of Amos because he's there. Just like he's in every other book. He's there. And there's a redemption in this. Just like in every situation that we're in, there is redemption. Every situation is redeemable. It doesn't matter what my sin is. Whatever my sin, I don't want to restate that. We can erase that from the tape later. Whatever my sin is, it is absolutely redeemable through Christ. When I repent, turn back to God, and walk with him, there's redemption in that. And that's what we're going to see next week. Um, And again, we'll see the rest of the story. Now, I thought I was early. All right. Uh, let me close with prayer, ladies. There was supposed to be a ladies' prayer time tonight. That's been postponed until next week. Okay, and you know it, it's my fault. So the nursery workers can be angry with me, and I can handle it. Uh, let's pray. Let's let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the time that we have together. Come together as a as a family, as a fellowship, and worship you and to to study your word, to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to love one another, and to worship you. Father, it's my prayer that we worship you in spirit and in truth, rightly, with the right attitude. Father, I pray for every family that's represented here tonight, that you bless them in a very real way. Father, for those of our fellowship who are not here tonight, I pray that you watch over and protect them and bless them equally. Father, thank you for the rain that you've sent. Thank you for nourishing your creation. And thank you for loving us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. And I took 10 extra minutes tonight because it's my birthday, so I'm allowed.